1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five and five. We begin with futures under pressure as investors dig through the latest batch of quarterly results and fresh comments from Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan when he told CNBC about consumer spending and the chances of a U.S. recession. And on the eve of earnings, Tesla just ramping up its EV price war, slashing prices on two of its most popular models again for the sixth time this year. And talk about a reversal. Watching shares of Netflix this morning after a mixed earnings report also marking the end of one of its hallmark services. We're going to tell you all about it. Plus, regional banks in focus this morning as investors eye customer deposit levels. The latest bank to surprise to the upside. That's coming up. And then later, U.K. inflation shocking the street once again with a double-digit print. A live report from London. That's coming up next. It is Wednesday, April the 19th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin. Hope your Wednesday morning is getting off to a great start. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a bit of a mixed session just yesterday, right now we're seeing futures Sharply in the red right now. You can see the Dow. If it opened up right now, again, it's very early, but opened up about 100 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq also moving lower this morning. In the futures, we're also checking the bond market as we always do. So we start with a benchmark 10-year. We're seeing that at 3.61. You got to remember, this is bouncing off its year low earlier this month of about three and a quarter. So it's almost 40 basis points higher. The yield on the two-year remains above 4%. Something we continue to watch. We're also watching energy and the oil market kind of teeter-tottering right around 80 bucks a barrel this morning. You can see it's ticked just a bit under 80 bucks a barrel this morning, down almost 2 percent. Brent crude at about 83 bucks and, you know, a couple of pennies there, um, also down about 2 percent. Concerns about a rate hike here in the U.S. continue to weigh on the oil market. That U.K. inflation print coming in hotter than expected, also weighing on this market. We're also watching crypto this morning. The crypto market is down this morning. Uh, Bitcoin down, back below 30,000, down more than 3%. Ether now down below 2,000. Just earlier this morning, it was just a tick above 2,000, down almost 4.5%. Crypto market may be seeing a crypto winner in the spring. I don't know. We've got to watch it. All right, overseas, what we're calling another inflation shocker in the UK, as I just mentioned. The latest price spring coming in. With a double-digit figure yet again, our Jamana Bersechi is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Jamana, good morning.
2: Good morning, Frank. That's right. U.K. inflation surprising once again to the upside at 10.1 percentage points. People had been anticipating it might drop below 10. No such thing. Another upside surprise there. Core inflation also coming in at 6.2 percentage points. We're really seeing a very, very sharp uptick in food prices. That continues to be the theme, the highest rise in 45 years. And that is having ramifications across the U.K. index. As you can imagine, the 15,100 down about three-tenths of a percentage point. The pound is trading stronger. Given that the U.K. is such an outward-focused commodities index, when the pound trade trades stronger, that is going to have an impact. But we are seeing major moves across fixed income. So let me just take you to what's been happening, the UK guilds curve. Starting with the two-year guilds, you can see we're up at 3.82, about 13 basis points higher today. Uh, the market is really repricing expectations of interest rate hikes. Uh, they're now settling in pretty much 100% on another 25 basis point hike out of the Bank of England to take the rate from 4.25 to 4.5 Also now reassessing the path for forward hikes with the terminal rate leaning towards five percentage points later in the the year. So massive moves in the front end, not just the front end, though, the five year up about 13 basis points, 10 year gilt up 3.85 percentage points, so 14 basis points higher today as well. And finally, just to round things off, we're seeing a major move in the currency. Continues to go from strength to strength, almost back up at 125 now. Uh, You can see the pound is up about a tenth of a percentage point. At one one point, we were up about a quarter of a percentage point. But again, the sticky inflation data is playing into interest rate expectations. Interest rate expectations are playing into the market's perception on how the currency will fare versus the greenback. So a major upside surprise today, Frank.
1: Yeah, certainly a big upside surprise we we'll be talking about with our guest here, uh, Jomana Persechi, live in our London newsroom. Germana, thank you very much. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanal is here with those, including news of looming job cuts at one media and entertainment company. Silvana.
3: Yeah, that's right, Frank. So Disney plans to cut thousands of jobs next week, including 15 percent from its entertainment division. Bloomberg reports the cuts will span company wide, impacting TV, film, theme parks and corporate positions. Employees will be notified as early as Monday. Now, in February, the company announced plans to eliminate 7000 jobs as part of efforts to cut more than $5 billion in annual costs. Meanwhile, Meta is reportedly expected to cut more jobs today, the latest round of layoffs since November. Vox reports roughly 4,000 people will be affected. Another workforce reduction is anticipated in May. Fox has settled the defamation lawsuit by Dominion Voting Systems for $787.5 million. Now, this averts a trial over the media company's coverage of false vote rigging claims in the 2020 election. The settlement coming as the jury had been selected ahead of opening statements. Dominion CEO calls the settlement historic and says Fox admitted to telling lies that damaged the company. In a statement, Fox says it wanted to avoid the acrimony of a divisive trial. And Apple CEO Tim Cook is expected to meet with India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi today after opening the company's very first retail store in the country in Mumbai yesterday. Sources say Cook will meet with Modi in Delhi, where a second Apple store is opening tomorrow, Frank.
1: Yeah, big big change for Apple, kind of focused on India, something we're going to continue to watch. Mm -hmm. Silvana, we'll see you later on the show. Thank you very much. All right. Turning our attention now back to the broader markets and investor fear actually reaching fresh lows. The VIX falling to its lowest level since January of last year. That just happened yesterday. And coincidentally, or maybe not even, that was when the S&P was also trading near all time highs. Despite this apparent lack of investor concern, at least in the near term, talk around a looming recession. It continues. The latest voice, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan and his comments to CNBC yesterday.
2: We see and our experts see them having a, a, you know, a mild recession, which if they could do that and unemployment never got much above four and a half, that would be a heck of an accomplishment. All
1: right. For more on this, let's bring in Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO of New Street Advisors Group and a CNBC contributor. And Max Wasserman, founder and senior portfolio manager at Miramar Capital. Gentlemen, great to have you both on this morning.
4: Thank you for having me here.
1: All right. So, Delano, I'm going to start with you. What do you make of Brian Moynihan's comments Um, We've heard a lot of talk and a lot of thoughts about recession. And on top of that, an earnings recession as well.
0: Yeah, I think the comments are valid. Um, if you're looking at some of the estimates um, the analysts are projecting when it comes to earnings and Q1 of this year, um, they're a lot lower and they could be, you know, what the lowest we've seen over the last couple of years. And a lot of that is because of the environment that we're, we're in right now, the macro level environment, and a lot of the cracks we're seeing within the consumer. that have not fully gone through yet, but there are a lot of cracks within the consumer. And those are playing a part in, in demand and demand being weakened. Um, across several industries. So, so those comments make sense. Um, and a lot of that could be priced in, but not everything priced in yet. And so you're seeing a lot of that being uh, played through in the market. Um, and that, that's, I think that's what we're seeing right now.
1: You know, Max, we often see uh, banks as co- possible gauges of what's going on in the broader economy. Bank of America, a huge retail bank. Brian Moynihan's comments coming on the back of Jamie Dimon saying some very similar comments. How do you see that impact in the markets today?
4: I think that what the banks are showing you, at least in the top five, that they're very strong and that they're seeing the consumer is still very strong. They're just spending differently. And you're seeing their balance sheets while they've been challenged with the unrealized losses at the banks. For the most part, the top five, top 10 are doing very well. And while the market is trying to predict a slowdown, a recession, right now the consumer is definitely not acting like there's a recession coming.
1: All right. So, Delano, I'm going to come back to you right now. We have some breaking news this morning. U.K. inflation coming in hotter than expected. Double digits. A lot of people did not expect that. The odds of a 25 basis point hike here in the U.S. now moving to 88 percent, according to the CME FedWatch tool. You see rate hike concerns impacting uh, certain sectors here in the U.S. and if so, which ones?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, one, obviously they're going to affect some of those growth names that, you know, have actually done pretty well throughout this year. Um, But if if those if we continue to see rate hikes being past May, um, the expectation right now is, you know, after May, there potentially be a pause. Uh, But I do think we'll see 25 basis point move in May. But past that. The market is not expecting that. That could be an issue a situation where we may have to re-rate um, a lot of these growth names, and that I think after May, you know, if someone has a lot of exposure, uh, too much exposure to a lot of the growth names, they want to p- possibly recalibrate. I think so far the trade has been working well, um, but you know, with okay. more data that we get, and obviously inflation on the top line um, has been still fairly hot, but it, it's been trending downwards. With more data that we get, we're going to have to potentially re-rate, and I think that's the big thing investors have to look for. All
1: right, Delano, thank you very. Much much for that. Uh, Max, same question. Any sector you see being particularly impacted by this rate pressure? We're seeing the oil market actually back below 80 on that rate pressure.
4: Well, I think the optimism in the Nasdaq has gotten a little crazy, in our opinion, roughly up 19 percent. You're seeing companies like Apple up 25 percent, NVIDIA up 90 percent, Microsoft up 20. And both of them are all three of them are not saying top line revenue growth is only that that strong. So you're seeing a Nasdaq that's anticipating not only the Fed to stop, but actually reverse towards the second half of the year. And so if you look at any changes in that policy, the Nasdaq would be too aggressive right here. 30 times earnings and with the 19 percent growth rate that they're placing on these companies, I think the Nasdaq is probably most vulnerable to a continued increase in rates.
1: All right. Certainly something to watch. Delano Sapporo, Max Wasserman. Thank you both for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. All right, here on Wex, it's time now for your big money movers three stock stories of the morning. We begin with Netflix. Shares rebounding after falling double digits in extended trading yesterday after reporting some mixed results for its latest quarter. Subscriber growth, however, coming in stronger than expected while Outlook, it just failed to impress. The streaming giant also announcing plans to ship its last DVD envelopes in September, ending 25 years of mailing shows and movies to its subscribers. We have much more on Netflix's results coming up later in the show. Western Alliance shares surging in the pre-market after reporting a reversal in deposit outflows and $10 billion of additional inflows made since April 1st. The Phoenix-based bank had previously reported that deposits fell by more than $6 billion on the back of the Silicon Valley bank collapse, with insured deposits now accounting for 73% of total deposits up very sharply from the start of the year and United Airlines posting an adjusted net loss of 207 million in the first quarter, a smaller shortfall than expected, citing higher fuel costs and fewer passengers flying in January and February. Shares are still higher though after the airline joined rival Delta Airlines in forecasting a profit for the second quarter. CEO Scott Kirby will have more on those results when he speaks exclusively with Squawk Box coming up at 7:30 a.m. Eastern. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange including the one word that investors need to know today. Also, much more on the Netflix stock reversal and what management had to say about its slow and steady ad-tier global rollout. Plus, just hours ahead of its next earnings report, Tesla, shocking the EV sector once again with more price cuts on its most popular models. Where you should be positioned ahead of the tape, that's coming up next. But first, speaking of EVs, our Eunice Yoon, she's at one of the world's biggest auto shows asking if some of China's biggest players can catch up with Tesla and the BYDs of the world, Eunice.
5: Thanks, Frank. Well, GM certainly hopes so. It's hoping that its Buick all-electric E5 SUV will do the trick. Worldwide Exchange is coming up. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
6: From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway,
1: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Quick market flash for you this morning. We're watching shares of Intuitive Surgical. They're popping ahead of the open after topping analyst estimates on the top and the bottom line. The pre-market move, you see it right here, big jump. It puts it roughly 5 percent from a 52 week high after some mostly range bound trading earlier this year. The company reporting growth in installations and use of its robotic surgery system, though it noted ongoing softness in China due to COVID-19. And as China continues to reopen, we are seeing its EV market heating up. It's day two of the Shanghai Auto Show. And despite the ongoing price war fueled by Tesla, BYD, and more, some of the country's largest and oldest automakers are still playing EV catch-up. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from the showroom floor with much more. Eunice, over to you.
5: Thanks so much, Frank. Well, GM and Ford are having a somewhat subdued showing here at the Shanghai Auto Show. Uh, Neither company sent high-level executives from the U.S., And the booths are pretty quiet, especially compared to all the excitement and buzz um, and crowds at the Chinese EVs. Now, this really reflects what we're seeing here, which is a sea change of um, a, a massive dramatic change within the industry. Um, a lot of people have always acknowledged that GM would be was uh, one of the dominant players here. In fact, it was vying for uh, one of the top spots at one point with VW. However, now that has really changed. In fact, last year, Chinese brands edged out foreign brands collectively. Um, in terms of market share last year. And this is what Detroit based analyst uh, Tu Li said why.
7: If last year wasn't a wake up call, in addition to this auto show, it, 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 the alarm bell should be ringing right now. And what the Chinese domestic players are really good at is being technology forward, being connected, you know, their vehicles, and utilizing technology in a way that resonates with the current Chinese consumer.
5: Lee said that the legacies have also been slow to respond because they haven't been as willing to eat away at the market share of their combustion engine cars. Now, the companies do still plan to compete, of course, in this big market. A VW for one uh, launched its luxury electric ID7 sedan. Ford has been showcasing its Mustang Mach-E. And then, as I mentioned, GM launched its first electric Buick Electra E5 SUV. And in fact, the company says that it hopes to roll out 15 models on its Ultrium technology in China by 2020. Frank?
1: All right, so obviously the competition's heating up over there. Do people think the traditional players will be able to play catch-up?
5: Well, a lot of people have said that this is a huge market. And, for example, with GM, it does have a huge business here. So it still has about 10% of the market. Also, uh, the sales you know, have declined, but they're still at about 2 million. So people are saying that uh, GM, especially when it comes to this new E5, really will be able to compete because it just takes one popular model. And again, as I said, it's a really big market with a lot of different customers that have different requirements.
1: Eunice, do you take any test drives? Do you have any fun while you're out there?
5: I've been having a lot of fun here, but I haven't had any test drives. Mainly, we've been walking, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm getting a really good look. And hoping I could get into a car later so that my feet can take a break.
1: Very nice. Well, enjoy it. Our Eunice unit, at the Shanghai Auto Show. Eunice, great reporting as always. <laughs> All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a morning strategy session ahead of Tesla's results. And what Elon Musk may say about his latest price cuts. Plus, out of ideas, more and more smartphone makers are taking a cue from the Motorola Razor and a page out of the early 2000s design playbook. The latest getting set to launch a new foldable phone. When we return, stay with Wax. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI.
6: Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction.
1: Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block.
6: Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at Canva.com, designed for work. Canva.
1: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. For the second time this month and the sixth time this year, Tesla is cutting the price on some of its most popular models. This time it's the Model 3 and the Model Y, two of its best sellers. With discounts bringing a real-world drive version of the Model 3 below $40,000, some investors are taking the move as another sign that Elon Musk is willing to sacrifice profitability as it grapples with an uncertain macro outlook. The price cut's also coming on the eve of Tesla's next earnings report. Our Phil LeBeau has a look at the one key metric investors should be watching. Phil? When Tesla reports earnings after the bell, one number in particular will be in focus with investors. Gross auto margins excluding zero-emission vehicle credits. The expectation? A gross auto margin of 20.5% in the first quarter. Anything above that, we might see Tesla's shares moving higher. Anything below that, Tesla's stock could come under pressure. And here's why this matters. It will show the impact of the price cuts during the first quarter. In terms of annual deliveries, remember Tesla says it expects to deliver 1.8 million vehicles this year. Analysts are not expecting new guidance from the company. But what Tesla says about gross auto margins and the impact of price cuts, that will be what people will focus on when the company reports its Q1 results after the bell. Frank, back to you. All right, that was our Phil Lebeau. Let's get more insight into Tesla's earning expectations and bring in George Enriquez, Canaccord Genuity Managing Director. George, great to have you here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right, so we just had our Phil Lebeau, you know, a really uh, known voice in this space when it comes to EVs, talk about gross auto margin. He says 25% is the number to watch. Do you agree with his take? Well, as usual, Phil nails it. So the number that
8: people are watching is auto gross margin X credits, and the company drew a line in the sand last quarter at 20% for the year. And people will be watching it incredibly closely, not just for the quarter that uh, will be reported, but also for the outlook. As you stated, the company since April has also uh, cut prices once before and then once again overnight. So it's really important to watch what they say about gross margin for the rest of the year and that 1.8 million uh, unit guidance for the year. The thing that gives us some confidence in the near-term and in the long-term that that might be okay is the fact that EV-related commodities have come under significant pressure since the beginning of the year. Things like lithium have seen a significant drop-off in price, also rare earths. And then long-term, the thing that we really like about Tesla's business model, that we think of it as a razor, razor blade model. Every unit they put out in the market has the potential of being upgraded with software which will significantly uh, increase their margins. And that software is the full self-driving software that everyone knows.
1: Okay, so Tesla's trying to create its own ecosystem of sorts with not only buying the vehicle, but you can also buy the software. So I want to go back to those price cuts for a second. We want to show the audience the price cuts. It's on the Model Y long range, a more than 5% decrease. The Model Y performance, a more than 5% decrease. And the Model 3 rear wheel, a just under 5% decrease. Um, That brings... The Model three to under forty thousand dollars is that a meaningful number when it comes to Tesla? Oh, oh, yeah, I mean, these are significant price cuts, and that's why watching what they
8: say about gross margins for Q2 and Q3 and Q4 will, will be incredibly important. I mean, this makes these cars, I mean, not they were already very compelling, but now they're incredibly compelling relative to traditional ICE vehicles and relative to other EVs in the marketplace. These are a big deal, you know, and so. Uh, We think that it makes the cars pretend really, really compelling, but also it it indicates to us that there's
1: a yellow light flashing in terms of demand in the marketplace. All right. So something else you're watching that you're expecting to see some information about on the call is Master Plan 3. So in the layman's terms, George, I know you're in the weeds on this one. Give us a, a sense of how important Master Plan 3 is and what you're expecting. Look, uh,
8: it's an incredibly important part of what Tesla is all about. I mean, they want to transition our economy from a fossil fuel economy to a sustainable energy economy. They went over it a lot at their analyst day. We're paying very, very close attention because our coverage universe is is about analyzing all the companies that will make that possible. One really, really important part of that transition is energy storage. It's basically putting big batteries on the utility grid. It's uh, Tesla has a very big business in that. Another company we cover called Fluence has a very big business in that. And what's interesting is that as demand for EVs has weakened over the last, call it, three to six months in China and in other parts of the world, uh, it makes that business, the energy storage business, even stronger because it's loosened a lot of the battery supply chain. So look for, we think, strong results in Tesla's energy storage business
1: and also strong results from a company called Fluence that we cover. All right. Certainly something to watch. George Enriquez from Canaccord Genuity. Appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. All right. Straight ahead on Worldwide Exchange. After a huge first quarter run up, the party in the cloud sector may be coming to an end. We take a look at the massive short interest facing the space and the one major investors whose predictions of an overbought sector, they may be coming true. Wex will be right back after this break. Stay with us. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in New York, 10.30 in London, where inflation surprised to the upside, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Shares of Netflix going on a wild ride on the back of its quarterly results as the streaming giant hits pause on one of its key new initiatives. We're going to dig into those numbers. Plus, sticker stock surprise As inflation figures in the U.K. reveal prices may be stubbornly high, teeing up the potential for more action from central bankers. And striking a last minute deal Fox News avoids a trial with Dominion voting over its landmark defamation lawsuit against the network. It is Wednesday, April 19th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Hoping your Wednesday is getting off to a great start. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. As we told you earlier, stock futures are lower this morning. We're seeing the Dow Jones actually move a little lower since we began the show. The S&P and the Nasdaq both in the red as well. All right, with a Fed hike appearing more and more likely when the Fed meets in just 14 days, we're watching the rate sensitive cloud sector, the WCLD Cloud and Enterprising Computing ETF. With names like Salesforce and Adobe, you can see it's outperforming year-to-date, but it's now on pace. It's kind of had a turnaround for its worst month since November. So an economic slowdown and rate concerns, they could be a factor. But as you can see, other risky assets, including Bitcoin and the AI-focused ETF bots, as well as the regional banks, they are actually outperforming the WCLD. In February, legendary short seller Jim Chanos, he questioned the quality of the tech rally. And now some analysts say he may be right. According to S3 Partners, nearly half of the short positions in the WCLD, they were covered in Q1. You can see the numbers right here. Now, in Q2, short interest has already risen by 26% since the start of April. C3 AI, the best performing holding in that ETF, it spiked 200% in Q1. During that time, and short interest rose from single digits to more than 28%. Now, the darling of the AI-focused investors is down more than 30% in Q2. You're going to see the sharp decline since the start of the quarter right here. And again, as I said, now down almost 34%. So according to S3 Partners, this stock, it may actually be poised for a pop from a short squeeze. There are more than 10 other stocks with double-digit short interest in the WCLD. They include DigitalOcean with 27% of shares shorted, Asana and UiPath, all down double digits in Q2, as you can see right here. So the question for investors now, how much of that year-to-date outperformance in this space is investor confidence versus option activity? We're going to talk more about that, I'm sure, throughout this quarter. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top stories, including that surprise read on inflation over in the U.K. Our Savannah now is back with those details. Savannah.
3: Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, that U.K. inflation rate continuing to hold above 10 percent in March. Expectations were for it to come in at about 9.8 percent following February's unexpected jump to 10.4 percent, which snapped three straight months of declines. The strong reading is expected to strengthen the case for the Bank of England to carry out more interest rate hikes. A federal judge ordering J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon to be deposed over what he knew about the bank's relationship with sex offender and former client Jeffrey Epstein. The judge telling Dimon to set aside two days for testimony and a source tells CNBC the depositions will not take place until May. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen set to lay out the Biden administration's vision for U.S. economic ties with China. Yellen is set to deliver a speech tomorrow outlining the U.S.'s priorities with leaders in Beijing. The Treasury says the speech will touch on matters including defending U.S. national security interests, protecting human rights, seeking mutually beneficial economic competition and addressing climate change.
1: Those meetings, certainly something to watch. Sobana, thank will. you very much. We
3: got it. All right.
1: Time now for one of your big money movers. That's Netflix. Shares climbing back after dropping double digits yesterday on earnings beats, but a revenue miss, along with optimism around paid sharing and advertising initiatives. The streaming giant saying it's playing, planning a broad rollout of its password sharing crackdown in the U.S. during the second quarter, and that it expects membership growth and revenue to benefit in the latter half of the year. Co-CEO Greg Peters adding on the call yesterday that Netflix is doubling down on advertising, but there's still a lot of work to do.
9: We've got a lot of work to do to develop, continue to develop uh, features that support advertisers. We're rolling out things like measurement and verification, but we've got you know a bigger, long, longer roadmap that we have to go do there. We're improving our go-to-market and sales capabilities in partnership with Microsoft. There's a lot of you know good work that we have to go do, and some of this is hard work because it's very country by country.
1: All right. Let's talk much more about this with Andrew Mer- Merrick, Raymond James, Equity Research Vice President. Andrew, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right. So we, we saw this huge reversal when it comes to Netflix after an earnings beat, but soft guidance. What do you think that investors saw that changed their mind about the streamer?
7: Yeah, I think the the reaction we saw immediately after the earnings release was fairly negative because, you know, the, the headline number around net additions For 1Q was below expectations. But once investors, I think, got a chance to actually read through the shareholder letter, the real story was not as negative as the headline numbers necessarily appeared. Um, This is not really a case in 1Q where we saw any material change, in our opinion, to the key debates in the stock, more just kicking the can down the road for a quarter or so while the company continues to scale its rollouts of paid sharing of the ad tier, which especially the bulls are thinking are going to tap in to pools of incremental demand and restart that um, net subscriber growth for Netflix and, and re-engineer the revenue growth path.
1: You know, I want to come off this metaphor you just use, kicking the can down the road. That's not usually said in a, a good light, when you kick the can down the road, generally people see that as you're procrastinating, doing something that you should do right now. What did you make of the decision to delay paid sharing um, and how do you think it'll be received here in the U.S.?
7: So looking at the early data, especially with the Canadian test market, which tends to be the most correlative, to the U.S. You know, kicking the can, I, I, I understand, is a little bit of a, a pejorative in terms of the implications of that statement. Really, it's more, it sounds like they were doing some testing, some experimentation with feature sets, with pricing to ensure that before they move into the major markets that are going to comprise a significant majority of the revenue of the company, they wanted to make sure they had it right. And so in that respect, you know, maybe a delay of a quarter or two in the short term maybe makes the numbers a little bit choppier, a little bit more volatile. But for the long-term health of the initiative and the business, it makes sense because really in in a scenario like this where you're going to consumers who are already users of your service and asking for more money, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And if you come across as too aggressive in that respect, it can backfire.
1: All right, so I made fun of this earlier this week, and I actually regret because people keep telling me it's important. But the issues with the Love is Blind streaming, is that a big deal for this company? And also its plans to kind of roll back its content spending. What does that tell us about the streamer?
7: Yeah, the the Love is Blind issue we think for now is an isolated event. Obviously, the company is quite early in its efforts around live events and and those types of live reunions and things like that, if this is a problem that recurs, then I think we start to become a bit more um, concerned about this type of particular issue. But for now, you know, I think we can fairly safely chalk it up to growing pains to to maybe a specific isolated event. But we will keep watching to see the quality of these um, live events going forward. In terms of overall content spend, that's kind of a theme across the industry as um, other direct-to-consumer services especially start to level off co- uh, content costs and start to become more focused on profitability and bottom line. But the fact remains that there's still a lot more content dollars chasing content in 2023 than there were in, say, 2019. So we still see the the environment for, for content as fairly competitive and aggressive. But Netflix does still maintain that leadership position in content dollar spend despite leveling off.
1: All right, Andrew, we got to let you go. But really quick, you had market perform on Netflix in your latest note. Has that changed at all? And for price target, you have NM. I've never seen that before. Do you have a price target for this company?
7: Yeah, so so our firm policy is for uh, market perform rated stocks that we that we typically don't have a price target attached to them, um, and just ha- this doesn't really change our thesis that we think we need to um, see a little bit more out of the paid sharing initiative, some proof points, some scaling of that ad supported tier in terms of the capabilities that it has relative to other connected television advertising platforms. Um, Long term, you know, we still think that Netflix definitely has a place in the new streaming media marketplace. But the path to get there might be a little volatile.
1: All right. We'll have to watch it. Andrew Merrick from Raymond James. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on WEX, shares of one regional bank surging after reporting an increase in deposit inflows. Our Dom Chu is here to lay out what that could mean for other key names reporting this week. Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. WEX, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. It's the segment where we check a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades. But first, we're going to look at the energy markets right now. We're seeing WTI crude back below 80 bucks a barrel, down 2%. Brent crude, the international benchmark, just below 83 bucks a barrel, also down 2%. And natural gas down a percent and a half this morning. A story we continue to watch, uh, potential rate pressure impacting this sector. UK inflation coming in hotter than expected, also raising the thoughts of a rate hike here in the United States. All right, as I said before, time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to begin with a, a look. Uh, this is the segment we look at this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades. We're going to begin with ExxonMobil. Speaking of energy, UBS upgrading that stock's rating to buy from neutral and price target from $125 to $144 per share. It sees Exxon as the best position to outperform energy's current upcycle, even though energy is down this morning. Second, Rivian, RBC the latest to downgrade the EV maker. It's moving it from outperform to perform and lowering its price target down to $14 from $28. It says while Rivian is well positioned to capture market share, near term, RBC's profitability and margin challenges. Very similar to what we heard Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas say yesterday. And third, Apple, JP Morgan raising its price target on the tech giant ahead of earnings from $175 to $190 a share That's despite expectations of mixed results. JPM says it still sees it as a safe haven position. Shares of Apple, you can see, down a percent this morning. All right, turning to earnings and shares of Phoenix-based bank Western Alliance surging after reporting a reversal in deposit outflows amid the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. After reporting $6 billion in withdrawals in the first quarter, the bank says it actually took in $2 billion in new customer cash in just the last 18 days. Western Alliance, not the only regional bank under the microscope this earnings season. Our Dom Chu joins us now with more. Dom.
10: So if you take a look, Frank, at the reasons why there are so many people focused on the regional banks, it is because of Western Alliance, First Republic, all caught up really in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and their collapses. This week, we've got a massive slew, a slate of different ones coming up. You mentioned the First Horizon, Western Alliance from yesterday. Today, we're going to get a a number of them, again, Citizens Financial, also U.S. Bank. Later on this week, Truist, Comerica, KeyBank, Regions Financial. And then next week is maybe the main event, if you want to call it that way, besides Western Alliance. You've got First Republic Bank and then also Pacific West Bank Corporation, or PacWest as it's known. Those ones were two of the stocks on the West Coast side of things that got caught up a little bit more in the overall upheaval around Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Uh, So far, pre-market this morning, we're not seeing a whole heck of a lot of trading volume. But as you can see there, it's been generally positive. The the ones that you want to focus on, at least today, this morning, are U.S. Bank and Citizens Financial Group. Zions is going to come out after the closing bell today. Now, the reason why is because Zions is one of those Western regional banks based out in Utah. U.S. Bank is probably the biggest, we we almost call it a super regional at this point, Minneapolis based, but does a lot of business on the retail and commercial fronts across the country. Synchrony Financial is more of a consumer lender that does a lot of branded credit cards and retail type tied operations. So maybe not as much a regional bank focus, but still overall, this is gonna be a big deal for a lot of investors out there, given what we saw with Western Alliance and with First Horizon yesterday.
1: So what are you expecting from the other regional banks that have left to report, about half of them still left?
10: What's interesting about the First Horizon report yesterday, it's very thinly covered from an analyst perspective, but they did miss, generally, some of the analyst expectations. Western Alliance was mixed as well, but you, you mentioned the key point there, which is they saw deposit stability come back, and that's the reason why those shares are surging. They're still way down from where they were before, but if you look at the regional banks that have reported so far, M&T, them, a lot of other folks are showing that deposits are actually relatively stable. If we can expect to see that for the rest of the earnings season, then it may come to fruition that many of these re- regional banks are not going to be nearly as bad off as people thought they were going into it.
1: All right. A lot more to watch. We're seeing coming up later today, U.S. Bank Corp. And then Thursday, Comerica, Truist, Key Bank. A lot of action for you, Dom. We're going to be seeing a lot here. of you. Yep, you got right, it. Our Dom, too. Thank you very sure. much. All right. Now that developing story and the last minute settlement between Fox News and Dominion voting systems, that deal coming just as the landmark defamation case against the network kicked off. Our Eamon Javers was in the courthouse amid the rapid developments. And he joins us now with more. Good morning, Eamon. Take us inside what may be the shortest trial on record.
11: Good morning, Frank. That's a good way to put it. In the end, it was clear that Fox just didn't want to go to trial here in Wilmington, Delaware. But it took until after the jury had been impaneled and the presiding judge had given them their first instructions until that deal, which was worth more than $787 million, could finally get done. And as a result of that, media mogul Rupert Murdoch will not have to testify here about his TV network's conduct before a jury of his peers. I was in the hallway outside the holding room in the tense moments just before that announcement was made, I could see one of the co-founders of the private equity firm Staple Street Capital that owns Dominion Voting Systems break into a huge smile as he talked to the Dominion legal team in those moments just before the deal was announced publicly. Fox's legal team left the courthouse after the deal in silence, declining to answer questions from reporters here, but the company did issue a statement saying this, we acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false, this settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. By contrast, Dominion's team headed straight for the microphones here, saying truth matters and lies have consequences. Afterward, I asked Dominion attorney Justin Nelson what comes next for him. He told me Dominion is working on six other cases, including against conservative news organizations Newsmax and One America News, Trump supporter Mike Lindell, and Trump 2020 attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell.
1: I think what this really sends a message is that we will be holding people accountable for lies. And I think what really is so important about today is really for the first time across any litigation is that people are being held accountable for the lies of the 2020 election.
11: And, Frank, another voting systems company, Smartmatic, has a lawsuit pending against Fox News as well, this one asking for $2.7 billion in damages. Smartmatic put out a statement in the wake of the settlement with Dominion saying this, Dominion's litigation exposed some of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's disinformation campaign. Smartmatic will expose the rest. So, Frank, ultimately it may be the case that this Dominion settlement today just sort of made a market, set a price out there for some of these other cases to follow. This could be more like the beginning than the end of this for Fox News, Frank.
1: All right, certainly something to watch. Our Eamon Jabbers live in Wilmington, Delaware. Amon, thank you very much. Ahead here on Wax, on Wex, we're going to tell you the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus Charles Schwab's Jeffrey Kleintop on why he sees the Fed's rate hike path winding down in the overseas market, he says, is offering stability. Wax, we'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan telling CNBC his bank's customers are spending freely on dining, entertainment, and other experiences, which he says is driving the strong U.S. employment picture. Meta Platforms is reportedly expected to announce a new round of job cuts as soon as today. Fox News reports the Facebook parent may cut as many as 4,000 workers. So far, no comment from Meta. And it's not just Meta. Bloomberg reporting Disney is also planning to cut thousands of jobs next week, including about 15 percent of the staff in its entertainment division. The report notes affected workers will be notified as early as next week. Apple CEO Tim Cook is meeting with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi today, just one day after his company opened its first retail location in that country, with plans to open up a second store tomorrow. And on the eve of earnings, Tesla is cutting prices on some of its most popular models for the second time this month and the sixth time this year. We're also watching shares of United Airlines. The company reported an adjusted net loss of $207 million in the first quarter of this year on higher fuel costs. The loss, however, was smaller than Wall Street was expecting. As you can see, another busy day in the markets coming up. So for more insight, let's bring in Jeff Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeff, great to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Frank. All right, so Jeff, every day we ask Wall Street's brightest mind to share the word they believe will define the trading day ahead. Jeff Kleintop, what is your WEX word of the day?
9: Beige. Usually
1: beige refers to something
9: (laughs) bland and boring, right? But the Fed's beige book coming out later today might be anything but bland. The collection of anecdotes and insights from banks and businesses across the Fed's 12 districts could be full of colorful insights into the impact of the banking issues in March, the lagged impact of rate hikes, and how companies are adapting to inflation and recession worries.
1: All right. So, beige, you're right. That's usually a pretty bland thing. But you say there might be some fireworks. That beige book out at, at 2 p.m. Uh, since it's anonymous, do you believe there's going to be more candor by people from the financial sector? And what might that candor reveal? Yeah, that's what's
9: important about it, and that this is really an off-the-record survey of, of banks and businesses. And so you might hear a little bit more color around what's going on than what you might get out of the earnings season uh, reports and, and comments to analysts, a little bit more color about lending to different areas, about how banks might be pulling back, about how businesses are adapting to an environment where credit is getting tighter and it's getting more difficult to finance operations and, and even inventories. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of that, particularly versus the last one, which came out uh, really a, a quarter. Ago. Things have changed quite a bit in the last three months.
1: So, Jeff, you have a global focus. I want to get your take on the UK inflation number from today. UK inflation remaining in double digits. What does that mean for the central bank there? And could that potentially influence what our central bank is going to do just 14 days from now?
9: Well, as it relates to UK stocks, it doesn't really matter all that much. The UK's FTSE 100 index is just 1% of its all time high. That's primarily because it's driven by energy. BP and Shell make up about 50% of the profits for the index. And higher inflation can be a benefit to them as their sales and operations are primarily outside the U.K. They're somewhat independent of U.K. monetary policy. So it really gets down to oil prices. And if they continue to remain well supported, they may fare better than other markets like the U.S. But clearly, inflation remains sticky and far too high in the U.K. at around 10 percent. With policy interest rates now around 4.25%, the Bank of England has linked any future hikes to signs of inflation's persistence, particularly in CPI and wages, and both surprised on the upside yesterday. And this morning. So prospects are certainly increasing for at least two more rate hikes by the Bank of England as debate rages over whether the Fed has just one more rate hike or is done and will soon be cutting rates. And that could keep downward pressure on the dollar, Frank, which is often driven by the outlook for the difference in policy rates.
1: Yeah, I know you're watching the dollar. we got to let you go, Jeff, in just a second. But what sector would you watch today Uh, with the U.K. inflation print, the, the dollar falling, the Beige Book coming out later? What sector are you keeping your eye on?
9: Financials are the one to watch most closely. They've been actually showing some good momentum here lately, and I think what we'll see more results from U.S. Bancorp, Morgan Stanley, and others, that maybe the bank crisis in a few banks isn't really a banking crisis, and we'll see more investors focusing on the valuations in those
1: sectors. All right, Jeffrey Kleintop, great to have you here. We appreciate the insight. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next.